0: In this episode of Rolling with Ray, you will meet medical expert Bill Thornton, a physical therapist. Bill holds a doctorate's degree and a master's degree from Wayne State University. He also has a bachelor's degree in allied health and also a bachelor's degree in science from the University of Texas in Arlington. Bill has over 20 years working in the field of spinal cord injury. With physical therapy. Today, he's co owner of several physical therapy clinics in the Detroit, Michigan area. He will describe how he has helped the spinal cord injury community with their disabilities. It's my honor and privilege to introduce you to Bill Thornton, the physical therapist. Bill, thank you for being on my podcast called Rolling with Ray. Good morning. Nice to see you, Ray. Bill, can you tell me why you uh, became a physical therapist and what inspired you to work with spinal cord injury folks?
1: I had a ton of injuries, to put it lightly, over the years, uh, which just kind of led me back to school and physical therapy. Torn rotator cuff, torn you know, shoulder labrum, back surgery from lifting weights, uh, broken bones. Um, like I said, a lot of injuries. And it just led me back to, again, school and physical therapy. The spinal cord injury kind of uh, fell in my lap. I got into research in school. Uh, I really enjoyed it. And my uh, the the dean of the program, uh, a PT, a PhD, was doing spinal cord injury research. So I I was always willing and uh, to volunteer and help. And uh, he kind of. Threw my name in a basket for a brand new spinal cord program down at the Rehab Institute of Michigan in Detroit, and as a new graduate, I got the job, and it was, uh, you know, a really really neat program to be aggressive to see what kind of recovery you could uh, actually get with all you know various levels of spinal cord injury, and again, helping out uh, his name is Dr. Tom Burke, helping him out. I also had access to all of his uh, Equipment, body weight support treadmills, some really really neat stuff that was cutting edge twenty years ago. Um, it's when he wasn't using it, I had a key to it, so I usually would go pick a patient and say, "Hey, I just read an article. Let's go try something." So it was, uh, you know, it was a really good experience. And That's it awesome. Just, it's how it led to working with spinal cord injury.
0: Okay, um, you are co-owner of several physical therapy uh, clinics in the Detroit, Michigan area. So what was. you we, so, so uh, you see a lot of spinal cord injury patients come through there. What do you think is the number one cause of spinal cord injury?
1: I mean, I know we've talked uh, you know, automobile accident is obviously the, the number one injury, but in 20 years I can tell you I have seen you pick something and I have seen some type of spinal cord injury, whether it be a knitting needle. Um, getting clipped on a quad runner, going through a cornfield by a deer. I mean, I, I've got some really uh, weird stories. So, can you can you describe seconds. can
0: you describe to our viewers about the the needle needle point it, about yeah how- it
1: was uh, so again that that spinal cord program downtown was new and this young man came over from England and so I started doing my evaluation and I tried to do a pretty detailed history. And I said, how did you, you know, how did the injury happen? And he said, guess. And about 15 minutes later, I said, I give up. I I had no clue. And he said he was wrestling with his brother. And again, I think he was about 12 years old and his brother about 15. And he went to dive on his brother on the couch, you know, tackle him. And his brother moved. And their mom had put all the knitting needles and her yarn uh, between two of the cushions. And... You know, C five six complete injury. It went straight.
0: It went straight through the through the spinal cord. Yep. I wow. mean, very it, it very
1: weird freak. You could do it a hundred times, and it never happened again.
0: That's amazing. So, when a newly injured patient comes in to see you, what process do you use to evaluate that that person?
1: You know, I think it's evolved and continues to evolve over the years. Uh, you know, there is a uh, an Asia scale, American Spinal Cord Injury Association scale for the different levels of injuries, Asia A, B, C, D. Um, and when you do that, that testing it's uh, you know it's a rigid format. The person's flat on their back and certain movements. And what I've found and what a lot of my uh, mentors that taught me w- w- have found testing uh, manual muscle testing, sensory testing in various positions with different stretches and pulls, um, pressure on the muscles a lot of times will elicit, things that you won't find just flat on your back. So, uh, you know, I'm, I generally, you know, we will spend at least a good hour doing an evaluation looking for things. Um, the other thing with the evaluations, depending on the level of the injury, the severity of the injury, how old is the injury? Um, you know, I, it may be an evaluation over the, over two days, um, you know, two, two hours, I have, you know, most people are told that the majority of the recovery or if anything is going to happen is going to be the first 12 to 16 months but i've seen people have recovery of function three four five six you know seven years later and i've seen people convert from an asia a to an asia b or from a complete injury to an incomplete injury and um you know once you become an incomplete injury the whole mindset in healthcare changes and people will say you need to be aggressive and you need to attack. I think the problem is that, you know, when you're originally injured, you're given that diagnosis. Well that diagnosis stays with you for life, but you may convert, you know, your original sure. diagnosis is a C five, six Asia, a a complete injury. But three years later, if you don't realize that you're an Asia B, no one's being aggressive and no one's treating you, you know, in my opinion properly um, to see what kind of function, you can actually uh, recover. Bill,
0: can you explain this to our viewers what uh, the difference is between a complete injury and an incomplete injury? For example, I'm considered a C5-C6 quadriplegic complete injury. That means that I have severed the spinal cord. Uh, it's totally it, it has been severed. So, can you describe what an incomplete injury is versus a complete injury
1: well yeah. the first thing i'd say is you know if you look at the majority of spinal cord injuries there, there's uh most are not the spinal cord's not severed um I've, I've seen mris where you can't you really you know to the to the just to your eye you're not you can't see anything damaged yet they're a complete injury um you know, again, what I was taught and what I look at as the true definition of a complete injury is not whether the cord was severed, but what we go to the end of the spinal cord and it's the uh bubble cavernosis, spongiosis. Uh it's a digital rectal rectal examination, and if there's sensory there or motor function detected there, generally you're going to be labeled an incomplete injury. Um there are you know I have treated numerous peoples with a, a knife or a gunshot in which there was truly a transected cord and a complete injury but generally um, the incomplete injury means there is some type of sensory or motor function preserved below the level of the injury you know so again c5-6 and you've got some kind of uh leg sensation uh you know the, the, so you're a Asia B meaning that there's sensory below the level of the lesion but no motor no movement um, hopefully, that cleared it up a little.
0: Yes, it, it did, and I appreciate you, I appreciate you uh, explaining that to our viewers. Bill, how many, how many patients do you see on a typical given day? Uh, I, and I'm talking about like in a rehab setting for spinal cord injury.
1: Sure. Um, you know, again, it's been a while since I worked inpatient rehab, but that's, that's where I started. And, uh, you know, I enjoyed it. Uh, it is challenging. But generally, it was seven patients. Um, and then maybe you would help with one group. Um, again, the groups, depending on the level of the, the injuries, you can kind of put together, you know, some people that need to do a function, maybe at a, a mat, mat level versus some that are ambulatory or some type of gait training, but generally six to seven patients, you know, an hour session. Um, some of the rehab settings that I really liked um, that I worked in when I first started, you had four patients um, a day and you saw them twice a day. So, you know, I would basically add eight hours with four patients. An hour, generally, I'd break it down into working on the actual deficit in the second hour or vice versa um, function, whether it's wheelchair, transfers, gait, you know, something that uh, a common goal that I agreed on and the patient agreed on.
0: Bill, how do you handle in a, rec- in a rehabilitation setting when an individual does not want to hear what you're having to tell them? Because the, the, you got to understand, the life they once knew is not the same life that they have today. So no. how do you handle situations like that as, as a physical therapist?
1: You know, I maybe I look at it differently, but, you know, I have always had the mentality that, you know, I'm looking at the, my patient, um, you know, this could be my brother, this could be my son, my daughter, my mom, my dad. And that's how I treat the patient Um you know, it's, you know, it's a, it's a devastating injury. Um, again, I don't know that I can handle it like a lot of the people and, you know, colleagues, business partners that have the, uh, that had an injury. Um, but, you know, I go into it with an open mind and uh, I went round and round with some doctors because, you know, they're you're promising false hope. And I said, nope, sorry. Uh, you know, I don't see any difference in walking in a room and saying you're never going to walk again. You know, that's no hope. And there's a small chance. Um, So, you know, when I have that newly injured person and I'll say, you know, what's your long-term goal? And they'll say, I want to walk. And I am like, that's perfect, that's a great goal. I said, now we got to do some short-term goals. You don't know how to get in and out of that chair, Um, you know, on and on. And I would usually, especially, just an example, if it was a uh, paraplegic injury, I usually, as soon as I can get into the parallel bars, and stand, because I know this this person you know, with this injury is going to need good arm strength, so we'll do sit to stands, I'll block their knees, they're getting to stand, they're getting to work towards their long-term goals, I'm improving their arm strength, their shoulder strength, and now they can transfer or push the wheelchair, you know, I just think there's a way that we can work on both goals, because it takes time to uh, adjust, to put it lightly, And, you know, I don't think walking in a room, you know, I've got numerous stories, you know, 18 year old kid got carjacked, shot, you know, he's at the hospital. It's two in the morning. A doctor walks in says, you have a spinal cord injury. You'll never walk again and leaves an 18 year old laying in a hospital. Family hasn't even got there yet. I just, you know, it's, it's tough and it takes time. And, you know, I think it takes a team. And everybody being on the same page, because I don't, you know, I don't know what the future holds. You know, the harder you work, the luckier you get. Um, I think I've said it a hundred times. You know, my son loved hockey, and he, you know, I was pretty sure he's not playing professional hockey. But I was going to do everything I could to give him every chance, because if I don't, there's no chance he's going to play. Yes, professional absolutely. Hockey. And I look at, you know, when with the spinal cord injury the same way. I know the chance um, when that original diagnosis is uh, complete injury, you know, drops down big time that you're going to walk again. But, you know, be aggressive, be upbeat, you know, try to, you know, look at the glass as half full, not half empty. And, you know, maybe this individual is going to convert to an Asia B, an incomplete injury. And, you know, once you become an incomplete injury, if you look at the, uh, Odds of regaining bowel, bladder, sexual function, walking, and again, a lot of people will put bowel, bladder function way above walking. Um, it goes through the roof, and I just think you know, as a physical therapist and in the healthcare in general, you need to be more aware and uh, stay in tune with these patients long after twelve months. You know, long sure, after 12 absolutely, months.
0: and I guess that was leading to my next question: is for you know, every injury is different, so. How long does it take for uh, a newly injured person to, I guess, accept their new normal life?
1: Wow, that's, you know, I think. I guess it depends
0: question. on the individual.
1: It does. And uh, I've got, you know, I don't even want to say patients now, friends that I have worked with on and off over 21 years. Um, I mean, I, I do. I have a gentleman coming back that uh, I have probably been treating on and off over 20 years he's an incomplete injury he went to China for an experimental stem cell procedure uh he did regain some function from it um again I'm not trying to promote anything but I had access to this gentleman's uh Asia scores and lower extremity testing and uh you know he's still primarily in the power wheelchair but he can stand he can take a step and he did uh regain bowel bladder and sexual function but that was five, six years at least after his injury. So, Bill, um,
0: as you know, I'm a C5, C6, complete quad, and um, I have a difficult time, especially during the winter months, to keep (laughs) him warm. Yeah. Can you explain to our viewers um, that my body temperature is not the same as an able-bodied person, and I am constantly cold, During the winter months and then during the summer months, I'm constantly, it's harder to keep cooler for me. Can you explain that to our viewers of what's happening there?
1: I'll give it a shot. Um, I mean, first, you know, just look at things as simple as, you know, that level of lesion, a C5 six, you have lost a lot of muscle mass that doesn't vasodilate, vasoconstrict. You know the the muscles aren't going to produce heat and again with that high level injury you don't dissipate heat so it's easy for you to become cold Um, it's very very um, hard to dissipate the heat and you know those you know those can lead to some serious conditions Um, the hypothalamus the area in your brain that controls the uh, sympathetic uh, activity you know the the information from the brain to the body is not. uh, it's not flowing or it's not flowing correctly you know and not being interpreted correctly
0: i had a uh, buddy of mine that uh, when i went to school with he was uh, it was like 20 degrees outside and he was trying to get in his wheelchair and he was a c4 c5 quadriplegic he was in an electric chair and he came out he was out one night and didn't get into the house until it was late late night And uh, he couldn't get – he dropped his keys to his vehicle and couldn't get inside or outside to this vehicle. And uh, it was back when there were no cell phones. And so he just basically had to stay in there and, uh, you know, I guess developed hypothermia uh, just because of the cold weather and he could not keep warm. Uh, It's – when i try to explain that to people about you know like for example yesterday here in texas we had a 30 degree uh, temperature differential and so from going from the hot to the cold and you know my body temperature is just not regulated the same and i try to explain that to people it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's, but, it's but you did a good job of explaining that
1: um, we did one thing at one of the first clinics. Uh, the ceilings were, you know, really, really tall and vaulted. And you know, as you said, it, it, you know, I've got it at 68 degrees or 70 degrees in the clinic. I'm comfortable. The patient's freezing. Um, I just had an idea, so I went and got some of the flexible uh, ductwork, and I dropped two or three vents. You know, from whatever I think the ceiling was about 30 feet down to six to eight feet. And uh, it was, again, I was just trying to give a place for the patient to go get warm. And uh, they got nicknamed quad warming stations. Huh. Uh, people, I mean, they would, especially, you know, it's Michigan and it's cold and there's snow. And uh, I'd have patients get to the clinic 30 minutes early. And they said, I'm just going to go over to a warming station. And, I, you know, And I'd, I'd lapse, so That's fine. I'll be with you. Just let me know when you're ready. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. Works. That's yeah. awesome.
0: I still don't see how the quads and the pairs up in Detroit, Michigan, uh, live or survive that cold weather. I guess they they adapt to it. And
1: uh, no, a, a lot of them move.
0: Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I
1: mean, I've got a lot of friends that have uh, winter places in Florida. You know, <laughs> they're getting out of Michigan for the winter.
0: Yeah, absolutely. What do you see the in the next 10, maybe 15, 20 years as far as advancement, uh, as far as uh, physical therapy?
1: You know, it is, I mean, just the last 20 years, the, uh, from the equipment and again, you know, it's obviously a wheelchair, but, and, and you you could spend all day lecturing on that because some of these wheelchairs are so complex, uh, for the higher level injuries, but, you know, the, the body weight support treadmill training, you've got the exoskeletons, there's, uh, different things you can do with electrical stimulation. They're doing, uh, the epidural stimulation and getting legs and stuff to move and walk. And I think all of that, you know, if you can keep the body functional and healthy, you know, certain levels of injuries will be uh, spastic. And, you know, if you can keep a joint, at least mobile, somewhat healthy, um, the muscles at the right uh, length or all the soft tissue at the right length, you know, you've got a better chance down the line. If you have some recovery or a procedure comes along, but it, you could spend all day on pub uh, PubMed, Pub uh, excuse me, PubMed, uh, reading the research articles, there's, you know, been a ton, a ton of stem cell research. Um, I think the problem is bench to bedside, you know? And we've cured a lot of rats. We need to you know, transition this Absolutely. To, to people. Um, Absolutely. But I do I, think, you know, I think, I think it's possible. Um, you know, you don't need uh, completely intact spinal cord injury. I have a friend that if he walked by you, you would think maybe he has a little arthritis, an older gentleman, um, it wasn't until they got, I think it was a three Tesla MRI. Again, the newer, really, really, the definition is incredible. Um, he's got maybe 10% of his spinal cord intact. Looks like a couple hairs. He regained everything.
0: Wow. Man, that amazing. A
1: little slow, but you know, at first glance, they thought it was a transected spinal cord and he'll walk right by you.
0: Wow. That's amazing. It is. Uh, Bill, um, I guess this was leading up to the, my next question is, is that the reason that people are living longer because the advanced me, uh, medical equipment? For example, when I you know when I came out of rehab, I was in an E&J chair, Everson Jennings chair, that weighed 40, 45 pounds, and I, now yeah. I'm in a quickie chair that maybe no, weighs 10, 15 I pounds.
1: I the football game in the old chair, and I was just, you know, I'm shaking my head, yeah. <laughs> It's not easy to push.
0: <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. But modern technology has come a long way, you know, in the last 40 years. And, yes. and I really do believe that's one reason that uh, people with spinal cord injuries are living longer. And the fact that, uh, you know, the, if you take care of yourself and, yeah. and you do a daily routine of exercising, uh, just like any, any an able bodied person, you tend to live longer.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you go back to the you know 70s and 80s, the life expectancy for uh, a complete quadriplegic wasn't that long. Um, but, you know, simple things of a urinary tract infection, becoming septic, uh, autonomic dysreflexia, um, you know, we know how to deal with those things. Sure. So I, I mean, I got them. hurt
0: at an early age. And, you know, they told me that I'd never see 50 years old. And, of course, yeah. I've proven them wrong. But... Uh, one last question I have, Bill, before we wrap it up. Sure. Uh, first of all, I appreciate you being here and and, no. and talking to uh, us about physical therapy. Um, for those that don't know, Bill and I have been uh, childhood friends. We were on the same baseball team, uh, Little League, growing up. Can you tell me or describe or tell the audience one of your best Ray Serta um, – I-
1: Well, you know, yeah, I've got, I actually, I thought of an, I've thought of two. Um, Again, the the first one, again, I don't know why it sticks in my mind. You know, we had a, there was about two or three years, we had a pretty much unbeatable baseball team. Sure, Um, absolutely. But I remember, I don't remember who we were playing, but it was just kind of a pop-up and I was playing left field. I wasn't pitching and I know you ran out and I believe Ray Watson ran out and all three of us kind of, you know, collided, bumped. Um, But then we, no one could find the ball. And we just stood there like three clowns. And I think, I'm pretty sure the kid got to third base before the ref called timeout. And there was just, you know, we were lucky somebody didn't break an ankle. There was a divot. You know, so with it being mowed, the ball was just, the ball was right there in front of us. It was just, you know, like a golf ball being a little buried in the grass. And it was just kind of embarrassing. I can still remember all everybody running around. And trying to look for the ball. Uh, I think we were we were probably in our late 20s and i don't remember which club was where everybody went but uh i believe it was you randy and jesse de La garza um there was a group of you guys from irving and a group of you know the guys from mac and i saw you and i walked over and said hey what's going on and, and you had a scratch you know pretty good scratched up nose and i just remember making a smart comment saying you out you know brawling at the bars and I believe your comment was, no, that's what happens when you don't put your chest strap on. <laughs> so, and I, believe me, I've got a couple of stories with patients that didn't put a chest strap on. Yes, once. absolutely.
0: So, absolutely.
1: Yeah. But. Well,
0: Bill, I appreciate you being here and uh, enjoy having you here. Next time you're in Texas, please stop by and visit me. And, uh and got it. Uh, it's good seeing you, and uh, I appreciate you being on my podcast called Rolling with Ray. Yes, Thank you so much.
1: Anything I can do to help you, let me know.
0: Should you have any comments or questions, please don't hesitate to contact me at book at gmail.com or go to my website at expect Facing Adversity and Winning. Also, if you're looking for a good read today, please pick up my book called The Life I Didn't Expect, Facing Adversity and Winning. The book is on Amazon. And don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and my YouTube channel called Rolling with Ray. Until I see you again, thank you very much for following me.